we've learned chaos is part of life, right? I mean, there's no getting around it. That there is really no answer to the why question of when bad things happen. Job spends 40 chapters questioning why, 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 why. What did I do? And the question's never answered, is it? The only thing he gets is, well, let me ask you some questions, Job. Chaos and order are inextricably linked in our universe. It's just, that's the universe we live in. So last week we completed the series on Job and his ordeal. Today, I actually want to take a look at the other half of the equation. We're going to talk a little bit about Job's wife. And, and you know, <laughs> I think this is one of the most misunderstood stories that there is. And to me, it's a lot like my favorite passage of Cain and Abel, which is still, I, I, I love these stories. But we want to look at um, Job's wife today. So if you have your Bibles with you at home or if you have that iPad or phone or however it is you are looking at the scriptures, turn to Job chapter 2 and we're going to start in verse 7. And it says this, so Satan went out, and we use Satan there, but the actual Hebrew means the accuser. So the accuser went out from the presence of the Lord and inflicted loathsome sores on Job from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Job took a potsherd with, the, with which to scrape himself, and he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, do you still persist in your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as any foolish woman would speak. Shall we receive good at the hand of God and not receive the bad? And in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So this passage has been used throughout church history to equate Job's wife with what? A tool of the accuser, right? Job's wife is... Satan incarnate. I mean, this is like a horrible thing to say about somebody. Job says that she speaks just like any foolish woman would speak. And then we, we have this tendency to turn that last verse, that last little bit in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And in, the, in other words, Job's rebuke of his wife is seen as him being righteous. Kind of interesting when you think about that, right? But let's step back and take another look at her. Is she just a tool of the accuser? The first chapter of Job tells us that Job had seven sons and three daughters. Right? Or, or seven sons and three daughters were given to him. This is characteristic of the ancient world. Patriarchy. In other words, the children are Job's. And so we center on Job the whole time. Job's lost his children. Job's lost his health. Job's lost his riches. <laughs> you know, it's funny. There's been times when I have, I, I've been talking to somebody and, and my wife will be standing right beside me and someone will ask a question about our, our kids and I'll say, well, what I generally do with my kids is this. And then when I get home, I get... <laughs> I get rebuked. Oh, they're your kids, are they? They're not mine as well? So I really try hard to say, 
well when we're talking about our kids. So what's the point here? Those children belong to Job's wife as well. And we need to really see that. And understand that backing up what's coming out of her accusation and her harsh words, in one fell swoop, Job's wife, the mother of ten children, has lost all ten children. Gone. Let that sink in for a moment. All ten of her children, gone. She's a mother. I remember many years ago, my mom told me the story of, of somebody we knew whose daughter had been killed, and not long after that, they divorced. And I remember my mom saying, few marriages survive the death of a child. And it's true. It's, it's crushing. And so Job's wife and Job have not lost one. Oh, no, no, no. They've lost ten. And let's also consider Job's wife and her status. I was talking to Megan last week, and back in the ancient world, a woman's entire self-worth was wrapped up in motherhood. We see prayers throughout the Old Testament about women who are barren. Please open my womb. Let me have children. And now her sense of worth is gone. And now, not only does she have no sense of worth, they have no wealth, they have no riches. She is destitute. She is broken. But we want to also focus on when, when she says, curse God and die. Well, I mean, how, I mean well, there's no defending that, right? Well, you kind of have to go back and look at what the actual word there says. Because it's easy to kind of read this and say, well, this is what it means. But the word there is a Hebrew word called berak. And originally it was meant as a blessing, to bless. And then as time went on, the word was used as a greeting or a salutation to somebody. And then as someone is departing, you said it. And then it kind of focused, as time went on further, that kind of departure was a dismissal. And not a friendly dismissal. You're dismissed. Or you just dismiss somebody. Thus, Job is not sacrificing for his children in chapter 1 because they are cursing God, but because they might dismiss or forget God. So it's the same word, it's the same meaning here. Job's wife is simply telling him to give up on his faith, to dismiss or renounce God. In other words, your faith and your beliefs have not helped us. They are as useless to us now as your faith. And your faith and your beliefs are as useless as what's left of our lives. That's what Job's wife is speaking now do you begin to see the absolute horror that has befallen them both, but especially her, the heart of a mother. Jeremiah sums it up well in chapter 31, verse 15 of his book, which is also quoted in Matthew. A voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Now we can begin to understand the terrible pain that Job's wife is experiencing and why we should never lump her in with the accuser. 
Never. Of course, we know the end of the book of Job, right? Chapter 42 is great. It tells us that together they have another seven sons and another three daughters and more wealth than they had before. So happy ending, right? Ask anyone who's lost a child. Do you really believe that either Job or his wife ever truly stopped mourning for those children? Those are called scars that never go away. Job's wife gets a terrible rap throughout the history of Christianity. And yet, she is more like us than really most anyone else in Scripture. If I'd been in her shoes, I might have said far worse to Job at that point. Oh, you still want to believe? Okay. All right. This isn't kind of the only example of, of, of this sort of thing. I want you now to turn to John chapter 11. Verse 18, we're going to talk about Mary and Martha now. Heroes of, heroes of the New Testament. John chapter 11, verse 18 says this. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. This is, of course, Lazarus. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. That's interesting, so, so remember that. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. You know what Martha's, you know who Martha's like here, right? This is like Job. Martha is a great example of Job because Martha points an accusing finger, but she still maintains her belief, doesn't she? Yet even now, whatever you ask, I, I still believe. You know, because Job said, Job's pointing an accusing finger at God throughout all those, those verses. But then he says things like, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. You know, should we not also expect evil from the Lord if we get the good? So it's kind of, it's very similar. It's very much of a parallel here. But even now I know that God will give whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection in the last day. I mean, there's no hope in her. She's just professing her belief. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. So there's, I mean, somebody, someone will look at this and say, well, Martha's holding out hope that he might do something. There, there's, there's none of that here. She's just she's saying, I'm really upset, but I'm, I still believe. In verse 28, when she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. 
And the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. And when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt down at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So Martha accuses Jesus but still professes a belief. Mary, though, doesn't even come out to greet Jesus. Her anger and her hurt throughout this whole time are palpable. I mean, you can, you can feel it, right? This is the one who has opened blind eyes and, and healed the lame. This is the one who's done all this, and she won't even leave the house. She's so hurt, and she's so angry. And when she finally does come out, there is only accusation from her. Belief has completely failed. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, how could you have done this to us? After all we've done and believed, Lord, you knew he was sick. Mary, in the depth of her anger and sorrow, says Lazarus died because you wouldn't come. What's well, not said there? What, what does it say? If you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's kind of the same thing, right? He died because you wouldn't come. Here's what's interesting about this passage. Jesus is actually stunned by this reaction. Because, you know, he, gives a, he tells Martha to trust that there's the resurrection and the life. But Jesus is stunned by her reaction. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her were also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. I get the feeling that Jesus was not expecting this. That he's like, oh my. Because what Jesus is now being confronted with is, is the agony of soul. The heart that is broken. You know, it's one thing to, to heal broken parts of the body. Well, how's your day going? Well, it's not a bad day, but, you know, my ankle hurts and I can't walk. Or, you know, my arm's been shriveled up for about 30 years. But other than that, the sun's shining, the crops are growing. We can get by physical injuries sometimes, but, but the, the depth of pain in the soul, it's raw agony that Jesus is confronted with. And I want to tell you that it has a name. And there are prayers about this. They're called laments and prayers of lament. Where you express to God the agony that you are in the hurt in the depth of your soul. Did you know that the Bible is full of examples of laments? I mean, it's really easy to kind of focus on, like, Psalm 150. Praise the Lord in the heavens. Praise the Lord with the guitar. Praise the Lord with the organ. Praise the Lord with all these things. But there's also the other side of it. Let me read you a couple of them. Psalms 10.1. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Ooh, that's pretty raw. Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2. How long, O Lord, how long will you hide your face from me? 
How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? And one I'm sure we're all familiar with, Psalm 22, verses 1 and 2. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus quotes this, not as, not as, a, as, as, as an intention to say, well, I, I need to say this line right now. Jesus prays this prayer because he is in the same agony at that point. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? From the words of my groaning, oh God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. Psalm 60, verse 1, oh God, you have rejected us, broken our defenses. Psalm 74, 1, oh God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? And finally, Psalm 137, verse 1, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion. So it should be really clear to us now that these laments are seen throughout Scripture. There is also an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations. It's one long lament. The book of Ecclesiastes is one long sermon coming from a bitter and despairing soul. So why are you pointing all this out, Tim? The point is this. There are going to be times in our lives when all is not well. Those times come. They're unavoidable. Chaos. Remember, all these weeks past, we've been talking about it. Chaos comes. When the pain doesn't go away, when hope seems far off, when there is agony of the soul, it's not always going to be six flags over Jesus. Sometimes bad things happen and tough times come. But what is the Bible teaching us? The Bible is teaching us today that a lament is natural. And these prayers of lament have been prayed and shouted and pleaded by some of the Bible's holiest people. When God's people cry out in lament and accusation, there is only ever loving understanding coming back from God. Isn't that fascinating? The God of the universe all powerful, almighty, and one human points his finger and says, why have you forsaken me? And it's always loving understanding being returned. When chaos comes, there isn't always a resurrection, a healing, a righting of wrongs. Lazarus is raised from the dead. Yes, lots of others were not. There's a lame man in the book of John who is raised at the pool of Bethesda. Jesus goes to him. How many did he pass by? that didn't get healed. When bad things happen, my friends, listen to me today. Understand this. When bad things happen, when tragedy strikes, it's okay to acknowledge it, to name it, to mourn it, to lament. You need to understand, Jesus actually does address this. He actually does. First of all, essentially the, the great Preamble to the kingdom of God, the Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember what the Sermon on the Mount starts with? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. But then what does he say next? Blessed are those who mourn, for you'll be comforted. 
But what else? Well, we go back to the story of Mary and Martha. Mary is broken. Martha is broken. Everyone around her is sorrow. And what does Jesus do right at that very moment? He stands with them and he cries alongside them. The Son of God, the Messiah, who will take away the sins of the world, who will inaugurate a new kingdom based on love and forgiveness, stoops down among humanity and cries with us. That picture. Think about the times when you have been hurt in soul, when you have been just in tears, and somebody comes and puts an arm around you and cries with you. There's comfort in that. There is comfort there. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Jesus does come. He stands alongside us in our pain and in our agony, and he weeps with us. He accepts our laments and our accusations. He takes all of our finger pointing and he absorbs it into himself and he takes it and he just, what does he, and he turns it around and he gives comfort back. If you've ever felt like you needed to, 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 to say, God, why? What, what, what's happening here? I, I knew of um, years ago, we had a friend who, and she kept, having miscarriages, and it just over and over again, and she was devastated. And, and sitting in the, in the, in the office of, of one of the ministers at this church, and he said, you know, I, what do you say? Lord, what are you trying to teach me through this? I said, no, no, that's not the point at all. The point is, God weeps with you. God hurts alongside you. Hebrews tells us what? We don't have a high priest that has never been touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Well, we just would say, well, it's all, you know, it's because he's been tempted like as we are. And we focus on that. Well, he never sinned. Okay, great. But let's focus back on the, the feelings of our infirmities, our hurts, our pains. And he is there to wrap us in, in his arms. And there is pain at night, but the comfort of God returns and it keeps enveloping us and it keeps holding us tight. And we're always going to have these scars but at the end of the day, joy does end up coming. Because blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's the promise of God. In the era of COVID, we need to be free to mourn and lament those we have lost. And what we have lost. I'm thrilled to stand here and as a part of this live stream. And, and preach to you. But I look around this room, and there are six of us in here. I miss our gatherings. And it's okay to tell God that. It's okay to express what you're feeling from God. Don't ever be afraid to go to God in prayer and say, I'm hurting, and I don't understand. Don't ever be afraid to tell God, if, if this had been healed, this wouldn't have happened. Where were you? All you'd be doing is praying the same prayers that the holiest people in the Bible have prayed. And what did God offer them? Comfort, love, understanding. Because yes, as James has told us, chaos is going to come. 
But Jesus said, I'm leaving so that you can have a comforter who will be with you. My friends, sometimes you just need to lament. And it's okay. God can take it. And he wants it. Sometimes I feel like it's like drawing out a poison from a snake bite. Give it to me. You know, we always tell God wants you to give us, you know, confess our sins, but he also wants you to give him our hurts. Casting all your cares, griefs, agonies, horrors on him because he cares for you.